Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the most downloaded fistball podcast in the Southern Hemisphere. It's The Fist, The Whole Fist, and Nothing But The Fist, so help me pod. The official Fistball Australia podcast, or as it's known around water coolers all over the world, TF, TWF, ANBTF, SHMP, TOFAP. I am your host, Malcolm Mr. Fister Donnellan. And following a coup, or I guess might you might you might call it more of a hostile takeover of the uh, co-hosting bench tonight, we have had the first major shake-up. And for ratings-wise, is that uh, Milne has been kicked out, and in the co-hosting chair we have our supreme leader, the awesome Rolf the Godfister Peterson. Uh, good evening. Great to be here. And uh, apologies to Milne's family. We'll, uh, I'm sure his body will wash up eventually. But, uh, you know, we've got to make these changes to keep our listenership and our base strong. So. From what I understand, Milne woke up with a horse's fist in his bed this morning, which no mean feat, given that horses don't have fists. But um, when the god fister wants to make a point, he'll get it done. So um, nice to have you on board. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, we've always modelled ourselves on North Korea. uh, As Melanie's finding out now. Yeah, exactly right. And uh, we also, I'm pretty excited to announce tonight that we also have a a special guest host who is uh, someone that uh, needs no introduction at all. That was where you were supposed to go. (laughs) (laughs) I thought we wanted the dramatic pause. It was a good dramatic pause. I'll go again. Fortunately, our special guest tonight is the fellow co-founder of Fistball, Richard Buckfist Williams, who is going to regale us with his special Welsh translation of our podcast name. Welcome aboard, Rich. Bodada, a fist, a dern, kafana demond, a dern. Gentlemen, good evening. It just just rolls off the tongue. We can, you can never have too many D's and F's in a word, I've found. Can I quote you on that, Mr. Fister, that you can never have too much D? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I have done a little bit of research for this show. With I guess it's a bit what I would say is a bit of a fistball resume for you, Rich, of some of your achievements over the years, which it's a, it's a pretty impressive resume, I must admit. First and foremost... You are the the greatest ever Welsh fistballer. True story. Which I think is is pretty impressive. The most games played at international or domestic level by any player in the history of fistball wearing a Terry Towling hat. Also, true story. (laughs) This one might, probably going out on a bit of a limb, I, I don't know if I can confirm or deny the accuracy of this, but... At the, at the sprightly age of 47, you are, I believe, the oldest player to have ever competed at a Men's World Fistball Championships. Also, also a true story. And a point of correction, I believe I'm the most successful Welsh player in the Southern and Northern Hemispheres. Oh, well, yeah. Well, sorry. How can we... Unless we can find an ancestral link between uh, Patrick Thomas and Dylan Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's not dig, not dig too deep. No, we don't want to go straight into Welsh, Welsh poets for this show. <laughs> yeah. no. Yes, yeah. I think that's for part two. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll, we'll save that. We've, there's plenty, plenty more time. Yeah, uh, welcome, welcome aboard, Rich. Thanks for thanks for coming along. Thank you. Very excited. Long time listener, first time guest. 
we we did try to get you on board when when Rolf came in for our second podcast, but unfortunately the the times didn't quite work out. But luckily enough, you you got uh, you were able to to come on this time. We did have. So, I mean, for anyone who is listening and wondering where what happened to Milne tonight, he he didn't actually wake up with a with a horse's fist in his bed. But unfortunately, he did realise that he d- he wasn't just going to be around tonight to host, and so um so he suggested that me and Rolf could do the podcast together, which for me was a was a fantastic idea. And I thought, oh yeah, let's let's get let's get Rolf on board, and we'll see if we can get Rich in because that that'll always be good fun. But my only real concern about it, to be honest, was for Millie was will you still edit it? Because I didn't want to have to do all the hard work this time if if he wasn't involved, and he said he would, so that was that was a win. The worst of both worlds. Uh, thank you, Millie. We love you. Um, he did have a couple of, of requests for me, basically, when he wasn't going to be involved. In number one, he said, uh, could we try to stick to some sort of agenda and not go off on too many tangents? How many is too many? <laughs> <laughs> well, how much, How long's a piece of string there? And um, and the second one was, could we try to keep it under 90 minutes to save him from hours and hours of editing us rambling? To which, yeah, to, I was like, yeah, yeah, mate, yeah, no, worry, no worries at all. Yeah, we can, we can definitely do that. So... To be honest, I'm not sure he believes... We definitely can do that, but do we want to do that? Nah, well, exactly right. I don't think he really believed me anyway, and I mean, let's be honest, I've never been a very good liar, so it's probably going to be... Well, I guess he's only, he's got three days. He's got till Wednesday. Come on. like He's in Adelaide. There's not much going on in South Australia at the best of times, let alone during COVID, so I'm, I'm sure he'll find he'll find time to edit our six hours of rambling down to some something resembling a, a one-hour podcast. But... So he's not actually in Pyongyang? No, he's just... <laughs> gone on holidays i had to rub it in anyway when we're all stuck in lockdown and he's gone off on holidays for the weekend stuff him he can he can edit he can edit a few hours it's he's got it's punishment all right anyway uh i guess i'll get back to uh what should be probably number one on our uh on our agenda list which i seem to forget in, well, I've, I've forgotten now 100% of the times that I've hosted the show, which is what beers are we drinking right now? Over to you, Rich. Well, the beer I am drinking this evening, it's uh, it's a low hop number. It's uh, not very hoppy. It's aged in the can. It's Some might say it's indescribable, so I probably should stop trying to describe it. It's, uh, it's one of those caffeinated ales. Have you uh, heard of, yes, uh, of course. any of those... Highly caffeinated ales. Yeah. Uh, it's just like beer, it begins with a B, but it's uh, it's actually Buckfast in a can. Buckfast in a can. I will, uh, I will go through the motion and open the can. It truly is God in a can. I don't think Nectar of the Gods quite does that justice. <laughs> <laughs> well, well worth the 10 second wait for that. Uh. And what are you guys drinking? I've uh, it's gone for something slightly uh, less regal and, and holy than, than Buckfist. So I've gone for a, a Feral Brewing Co. Biggie Juice, which I don't know what that is, to be honest. I just was at the local bottle shop last night and I saw the can and... As a picture of a kind of messed up pig wearing a crown and it's kind of colourful, I thought it sounded alright, so I just went for one of those. But I'll do the obligatory... Lovely. And 
For you, El Presidente? Uh, yeah, so I've gone, I've gone political with my beer choice. I've gone, uh, I found a, a colonial IPA, um, which is a statement on what Australia has basically descended back into is a series of uh, unrelated, uh, unconnected col- col- colonies that um, <laughs> only accessible by sea or, <laughs> I don't know, dirigible at the moment. I think it's a, a <laughs> I think you can actually legally cross any land border in any direction whatsoever. So, uh, so uh, as to what we are now, which is a, uh, a failing colony. Uh, and, um, uh, yeah, so cheers. Cheers. Mate. Yeah, there cheers, guys. Uh, on that, haven't they decided to change the name of that brewing company because it was deemed to be offensive to First Nations people the, uh, in the colonial times? Uh, which is why it's in the specials bin, I take it. Yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> I, I think it's a bit... There's, there's quite a few things around the place, like the uh, there's a couple of sporting teams in America that have sort of changed their names... The Washington, the Washington Redskins have, are just Washington now. Well, yeah, the lollies like Redskin lollies and Chico lollies are, are, are being changed. So, a beer from a simpler time, I guess, is what you're drinking, Rob. That's exactly right. It's a nostalgic um, drop. I was out on manoeuvres with the Victorian resistance last night, and they were all drinking it. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> Excellent. Much like uh, many of our original sort of fistball nicknames and puns that we had that have been uh, shed by the wayside. Expunged. <laughs> Expunged, yes. <laughs> I can't for the life of me remember what my original fistball name was. I can remember, but I'm not sure that I should mention <laughs> it on the podcast. It's on the tip of my very crisply ironed <laughs> uniform, but I cannot remember what my name was. <laughs> in our defence, we when we when we started this out and we came up with some of the ridiculous names, we had, we never had any like, a thought in the world that anyone from Germany who actually plays football would ever like come here and play with us or, or see what we were doing. And we we're like, oh yeah, yeah, it's, well, it's been eighty years. We can joke about that stuff now, right? What's the statute of limitations on those sort of things? But did you hear that the statute of limitations has been pulled down recently? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the, the statue of limitations was deemed offensive by a number of people. Uh, but all of those early nicknames, they did come from a a place of kindness, uh, but also a place of ignorance as to what do we know about Germany and uh, dot dot dot. And in all fairness, we didn't discriminate. So some of the names are just just plain inappropriate. <laughs> Teams such as uh, Gorillas Fisting in the Mist have. Uh... Been relegated to history, and players such as Oscar Fistorius. Yeah. We didn't just offend German people; we tried to offend as many people as we could in those That's early right. days. And um... it was a rainbow nation. <laughs> yeah, We've, we have tried to. I wouldn't say get with the times. We're still well behind the times, but we're we're less behind the times than we were before. Probably. No, all all in good fun. Fist. We'll move on to what is, I guess, the the interview part of tonight's podcast, which with our special guest, Rich uh, Buckfist Williams. We we sort of touched on this a little bit uh, in the previous podcast when we had when we had Rolf on. We looked at the origins of fistball and and how you two had sort of come up. But what what are your memories of of the origins of fistball, Rich, and how this all all came to be? I listened to Godfist's rendition of the story and it did sound very bleak and very dark on uh, only a couple of podcasts ago and I thought the man's a born liar what what the hell is he talking about and I thought about it for one maybe two seconds and I realized yes it was 
a pretty bleak moment when we came up with the idea. Uh, two tragic characters somewhere in Melbourne, hunched over a bar as midnight approaching on a New Year's Eve many moons ago. And we hurriedly thought, we need a couple of resolutions. Uh, how about we represent Australia on the national sporting stage? And the second one was, how about we overthrow an Eastern dictatorship through the power of music? And the rest is history. Well, only half of that's history. How did, how did the second part of that history go? Because we obviously know the fistball story, but the Eastern dictatorship part we haven't heard yet. So That is, uh, that is, that is for another podcast. We, we, got the, we, we, got Rolf's, we got Rolf's Norwegian pop hit, but that's not so much an Eastern <laughs> dictatorship. That's a whole other kettle of fish. Uh, well, geopolitics being as it is, we sort of put it on the back burner and concentrated on the fistball goals. And as he mentioned, yeah, we had a look around for sports that we could represent Australia on the sporting stage. And given Australia is sort of slightly keen on sport, it did mean we'd have to come up with a sport that wasn't played here. Uh, as he mentioned, we went through things like kabaddi, real tennis. I was so gutted with the kabaddi one. The thought of five of us wearing nappies, holding hands in a sandpit, holding our breath, trying to reach the other side. That was the crystallization of my dream of representing sport. And I was, I was heartbroken when I found it had been gone and they'd been thrown out for the sort of antics we would have got up to. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's one thing when that they'd already been there and done that and been, and been thrown out. I guess there was the window that you could come in and take over, but the fact that what they'd been thrown out for is that, exactly what you guys would have also probably been thrown out for it's like well you well it's going to be the only thing we could have brought to the game <laughs> yeah exactly just drunken right. incompetence <laughs> so we needed to find another target scaring the horizons uh, the world games had a pretty eclectic mix of sports one of which was fistball and i fed that up the chain to uh, our glorious leader and the decision was made. And as we said at the beginning, fistball, you come for the puns and you stay for the sport. Yeah, exactly. And that's it, isn't it? That's exactly right. Like I, I sort of remember the the conversation that, that we had uh, at the job that Rolf and I were working at. And it's so funny looking back now. We were talk, Rolf and I were talking about this a, a week or so ago and we, had, we caught up for a bit of a beer. And I guess it's one of those like sliding doors moments in your life where I, I remember Rolf just was sitting in this room. It's like maybe lunch break or something. And I can't even remember how the, the topic sort of came up about playing for Australia. And it's, you know, being sort of one of those childhood dreams that everyone has that ultimately is almost impossible for sort of 99% of the population. And Rolf just sort of chimed in with this, uh, actually, you know, I've got a bit of an idea about that we've sort of found a bit of a loophole here that, you know, maybe we can do it. And starts going off with this story about this sport that uh, him and, and yourself, Rich, came up with and you've found this real sport and it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's big in Germany and Austria and Switzerland and Brazil, South America, but, you know, it's, and it's a proper sport with a with the proper world championships and, but, you know, no one in Australia's ever really played it before. And, you know, if we went out and we started it ourselves, we could just go and do it. And I remember kind of looking around at, the rest of the room there was probably 15 20 people in the room i think pretty much everyone else in the room was looking at rolf like he was an absolute moron and i was just like that is the greatest thing i've ever heard and i want in and from there it just basically became like what do we have to do how do we make this happen and so then we started looking at like well you know we've got people here we've got 10 or 12 people we, we can just get we'll buy an old volleyball and a piece of rope and some poles we'll go out and we'll you know we'll play a game and i remember yeah we just we were fumbling around just 
yeah, punching an old volleyball over a piece of rope. And even that, it wasn't, it was actually, it was probably nothing even vaguely resembling fistball. But we, we, we just, we realized very early that actually this is pretty good fun. Like, I don't know if we realized that we weren't actually playing fistball, we were kind of just punching a ball over and over a rope. It, w- it wasn't anything that actually looked like a proper game of fistball, but we sort of realized pretty early that we'd stumbled across something that, that had a bit more to it, I guess, as the, the sort of story went on. And then it wasn't until 12 months or so in when, uh, the IF, yeah, we contacted the IFA and they decided to send um, our boy Fistel's Kronsteiner out here to help us out. And we did our first little training session with him and he sort of watched us for about five minutes and then called everyone into a little group and said, I'm not sure what that was, but it wasn't fistball. <laughs> it was something like fistball, but it definitely wasn't fistball. It's like you're, you're, you're like punching the ball with your knuckles and you're like doing these big round arm swings. It, it, he goes, have you actually ever seen like real proper games? And we we're like, no, we haven't. And Anyway, we got back to the room and he showed us some like some footage of what actual fistball was and showed us some techniques and we realised that we were we hadn't quite nailed it. I could I still see the look of disappointment in Clemens's face when, after the first uh, classroom session, we took him downstairs for a pint and a schnitzel <laughs> before we went to the field. <laughs> I don't know whether he, <laughs> it was a, one of those looks at somewhere between like you know sadness and shock. <laughs> But I felt we had refugee status. On the world fistball stage, we were like refugees. The Being sent that care package from Switzerland, just the, the pure love from the Northern Hemisphere when that giant box of what turned out to be what a fistball looks like, an actual nets that aren't, you know, cobbled together bits of rope. It was, yeah, it was incredible. And fistals, as the patron saint of Australian fistball, yeah. yeah, he got us across the line. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that well, that, yeah, that was that was Roger Roger Willen from Switzerland that they actually sent us out the gear. And but it, exactly right. It was we went from being this just bunch of morons punching a ball around to a bunch of morons punching a fist ball around, which you know, may seem like a small a small change, but yeah. I, and I, but I guess that was probably our, the first experience of that global fist ball family, and the fact that a bunch of guys in Switzerland who don't know us, have no idea about us at all, would go around and wrangle up, you know, it's a, like fist balls and nets, they're not, they're not cheap, you know, you're looking at, I think it's like 70 or 80 euros for a ball and 120 euros or something for now. So like the fact they got together about, it was probably about six, 700 euros. So, you know, a thousand bucks Australian of gear that they just wrangled together through, you know, different people who just love the game and sent it out to us just for, for a bunch of idiots who'd started playing this sport to just give us actual equipment yeah, absolutely. and you, you see that and think, wow, there's, there's a, there's a culture behind this game that is something quite special. Absolutely. When that box turned up, yeah, it was, that was the critical moment where fistball could have gone from where we had a bit of rope tied to a tree and the other end tied to the only stake that we had to put in the ground, whacking the living daylights out of a, a volleyball and then it would puncture, then a bit more duct tape and then punctures and a bit more duct tape to the point where it was more duct tape than ball. How long would we have actually got on if we didn't have that injection of oversight, of compassion from the North and actually having the proper gear? Yeah, I, exactly right. And as you say, I, I think from memory, I think it might have been the that same day that we got the box of balls and nets and stuff that someone went down to... Um, to Kmart to buy new poles and they bought a packet of it was and the way it was worded was like 
tent poles, like retractable tent poles. And so they bought one thinking it was two poles. And then we got there, it was just one. And so we just had one pole to use for one end. And we just, I think, <laughs> so we just moved the whole court over to sort of near a tree somewhere. So we sort of had a something sec, like a second thing. And so it was like, yeah, well, we've got a whole bunch of you know, new gear, balls and everything. And we're still got one pole and we're just tying to a, to a tree or something at the other end. I, I, can, I remember that day exactly. And you 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 came rolling in in that uh, that nice little sports car you've got, which that was it was near my house, which in the western suburbs of Melbourne, the fact that you were able to park that thing near my house for three hours and not have it stolen was a minor miracle in itself. It's a testament to my ignorance and naivety that I even attempted it. Yeah, so much of those sliding door moments where it just happened to be that yeah, said so Rolf mentioned this off the cuff crazy idea that he had to me. We happened to be in an environment where we had a few people. We're like, we had enough people there. We could actually get together and play some games. Like, if it had just been an off-the-cuff comment that he made to me on my own in a pub somewhere, we might still never have gone anywhere with it. Because we just, yeah, we just happened to be in a weird environment. We had a bunch of people from all over the country that had sort of come together for this course. And there was probably yeah, 14 or 15 of us, we were, and we had nothing better to do with our time. We were like, oh, let's get together and we'll try and play this game. And, yeah, it became relevant, uh, evident pretty quickly that we'd stumbled across something pretty special. And most importantly, it was a really crappy course at a crappy company that that, <laughs> that encouraged the onset of depression and misery to make you want to do something different, you know? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, let's, let, well, we won't delve <laughs> too much into the depths of depression that uh, the air traffic control course sent either of us into. But, but seriously, I, I, I was literally talking to someone about this the other day. I was like, that was, you know, four years of my life that... I'd look back at it in, in the grand scheme of things and think, God, that was a waste of time and I regret it so much because it really, like, my mental mindset and everything was so bad. But if not for that course, I never would have found fistball. And it, obviously I've got, you know, kids and all that kind of stuff, so I'm not going to say it's the best thing that ever happened to me. But it, it was one of the most crazy, life-changing things that's ever happened to me that for the better that I just think, God, I, I would, I'll never change going and doing that shitty, terrible job that I did for four years because it led me to fistball. Yeah, in a section of this podcast that for some reason doesn't exist, that I like to call, what has fistball ever done for us? There are so many of these moments, you know, the, the, the charity. It's a bit like the... Um... What are, what are the what are the Romans ever done for us? Part of Monty Python, you yeah. know. Well, aside aside from the roads and the sanitation and the education and the healthcare and the what have the Romans ever done for us? And the know? poles and the balls and the net and fistals. Yeah, but apart from that, what have the Swiss ever done for us? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. All right, guys, we'll keep moving on in our questions as we're rolling along. So just to keep Milne happy. Sorry, Milne, we're half an hour in, but we're we're going okay. Uh, so the next question, I guess. Well, we talked about the origins of fistball for you, Richard, but um, you've you've also been been privy to a, a couple of the pretty special moments of fistball of our first ever international trip to Pakistan, which my jerky job, which we mentioned earlier, wouldn't give me time off work so that I missed out on to the Pakistan trip, but also the the world champs in in Argentina. But what what are the the I guess the memorable moments and your, and your favourite experiences you've had over the journey? Uh Two key moments stand out. One we've already mentioned that day in the park with the rope tied to the tree, the ball barely staying inflated, just covered up with patches of duct tape. And then that giant box turning up. The thought of the postage on that giant box, which was the size of three coffins, <laughs> was not even worth considering. But the the Pakistan trip, the Asian games that we went to, is an absolute high point. I remember 
all the rest of the team went ahead of me and I couldn't finish work early enough. So I turned up, uh, I think, the day later. And I remember being the only, I'm guessing the only uh, Welsh bald uh, fistball player on the plane of uh, committed uh, locals. When the captain announced that we were uh, approaching top of descent before uh, making our approach into Lahore, I thought, well, I've got an outfit for my arrival, uh, a rather dashing uh, white full sleeve uh, safari suit number, very 70s, very flared. And uh, so I went into the bathroom and there was a moment when I'm 35,000 feet over the top of Pakistan, uh, completely naked in the bathroom, uh, <laughs> having disrobed out of my uh, traveling clothes. We've all been there. <laughs> about to... About to attire myself in some swanky 70s garb uh when i had a thought of just how surreal this was and if the plane were to crash or if i ever were to be in a plane crash and i had to choose a moment it would probably be this one just to sow seeds of confusion for the accident investigation team as to how did this person appear in the wreckage thousands of future episodes of air crash investigations <laughs> who was the welsh guy in pakistan the naked welsh guy in pakistan and what was he doing there but there was there was nothing that wasn't sensational about that trip having our own dedicated commando cadre of people we were told we couldn't leave the hotel unless we had protection we said we had no protection. Minutes later, uh, a jeep turns up with maybe a dozen armed commandos hanging off the side of the jeep that would escort us everywhere. How did I know they were commandos? They had the cheesiest t-shirts you've ever seen with commando crappily stitched across their shoulders. legit. <laughs> <laughs> so the attitudes were serious. The guns were serious, the uniforms. <laughs> Anyone who's aware of uh, Australian fistball history, the uniforms could have given the uh, Fistroy Lions early strip a run for its money. Oh, the pyjama outfits. Yes. Yes. A nod to the to the pyjama outfits and to, uh, what was it? Covo. Covo Sports. <laughs> yeah. Covo. <laughs> let's, 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 yeah. let's never mention Covo again. That was a... If I were those guys, I would have sued whoever sorted their uniforms out. Absolutely shocking share of affairs. <laughs> uh, one other question I, I have that I've had this for question for four years or five years now. Having spent the best part of two weeks inside what can be best described as a small shoebox with four other small smelly blokes at the World Championships in Argentina... How the hell did you score your own private room at that hotel in Argentina? You were the last bloke to arrive, and I think we realised on the last night before we left that you'd just got snagged your own private room somehow. What happened there? I've got to admit, I cannot work it out myself. Uh, it was an act of uh, supreme kindness, generosity, or the fact that I may have mentioned that I had a, uh, a terminal case of herpes. I'm not quite <laughs> sure. But um, either way, I did end up with my own room. Uh, we, we do have a couple of uh, viewer questions that have... Viewers, listeners, I don't know what you call it. Questions that have come in uh, over our Facebook page today. The first one, just sort of bizarrely from someone called Rolf Peterson, which I'm guessing is probably a, a more common name than you, than you might expect. I don't know who that is, but... It's probably like Wales. There are only three names. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly right. Yeah, could, it's like Richard Williams. Yeah. Could be any any number of, of Rolf uh, Petersons around the place. But uh, his question is, uh, do you care to comment about Dust Fist's controversial supplement scheme? Exactly what is in Buckfist and how is it administered? Uh, thank you. That's a great question. Was it Ralph Peterfile? Is that, uh... <laughs> 
Yeah, something like that. Uh, great, great, great question, Ralph. Yeah, uh, I would like to take this opportunity to put to rest rumours on the internet that Buckfast is and is indeed not the cause and also the cure of COVID. As you know, Dasfist's best accomplishments take place off the field. This time last year, uh, Rolf and myself, in the spirit of entrepreneurialism, we uh, we checked in at my great, 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 great grandfather's uh, market stall in a little place called Wuhan, uh, looking to introduce the latest uh, sort of uh, French-Scottish fusion in the cooking world. We tried to sort of uh, introduce our take on the French classic duck à la ronge. Regrettably, as we we all know now, um, no matter how delicious it may have been, the runaway success of Duck à la Buckfast or Bat à la Buckfast has uh, the TripAdvisor reviews have not been kind to us. Uh, it's actually made all the papers. So, for the scientists among you, Buckfast may or may not be the cure for uh, COVID. Uh, the latest results from. Uh, Dr. Fauci suggests that uh, you take hydrochloroquine orally and buck fast rectally. And apparently that's uh, that's the way to go. So, uh, Mr. Ralph, pedophile, I hope that's answered your question. Yep. Well, I certainly look forward to the next fist of us. Yeah. <laughs> Can't argue with science, can we? No, that's right. Now, the next question we have is from... Uh... Uh, a Jesse Leon or Lion, possibly. I, I, I'm not sure exactly the pronunciation, but um, her question is, when will I get the scenic joy flight that I purchased at the 2015 World Championships Trivia Night Fundraiser? Uh, thank you, you big Jesse. Another very good question. Uh, in the spirit of flight safety, seeing what was on the horizon, uh, I decided to cancel all aviation activities, even as far back as 2015. So... Uh, Post-COVID, uh, yeah, you'll be first in the queue. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Jessica. I'm sure she'll be. I'm sure she'll be glad to to hear that. Uh, and we have uh, one last question that comes from uh, again another. Um, again, apologise if I get the pronunciation. Uh, Chris Milner, uh, which is what is the secret to performing the perfect underarm serve? I've tried everything, but sadly my serves all still seem to go over the net. Sad face emoji. Mm, going over the net so i mean that's uh that's a pretty poor metric right there yeah you're, you're not wanting to get them all over the net so uh... yeah it sounds like uh this uh chris milne uh has got a yeah i, I don't know if he he can be helped to be honest you've often been referred to as the the rick barry of of world fistball who i mean anyone out there is not a, not a basketball supporter rick rick barry's a, a hall of fame basketballer who, who famously shot free throws underarm and was is he's one of the one of the greatest free throw shooters of all time i think he's in the top top half a dozen you know 90 percent free throw shooter shooting shooting underarm and that's pretty much that pretty much encapsulates richard in the fistball world of it's it's a it's a it's a it's a very rare but if you can nail that skill, it's it's a game changer. For those that don't know, Richard's got a degree in mathematics, so he's all about the percentages. So, <laughs> and I think if you and I think if you if you ever saw Richard serve overarm, his zero percent overarm percentage service to his four percent underarm service, that's a massive increase when you do the math. It is. You've got to exploit the incredulity of the receiving players, and that's. That's the aperture that you get into. If it does help this uh, Chris Milne, the ancient quote of some are born under armors, some achieve under arming, 
and some have underarming <laughs> thrust upon them. Sadly for Chris Milne, uh, none of these categories apply to him. So it's time for a new sport. Perhaps uh, cricket, underarm bowling in cricket is is widely received well, particularly by the, the New Zealanders. So, um, so yeah, I think that's, that's possibly a, a future venture for this uh, Chris Milne from South Australia. Do we have a South Australia? It's confusingly in the middle, yeah. Um, there's another question as well, actually. There was another question. Um, oh, do tell. Yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, from Lee Maroney, a uh, Mr. Lee Maroney, uh, and he says, uh, "Last time I heard, Richard was wanting to create the ultimate song, uh, and he'd like to know if he ever made it." The ultimate song? Well, it couldn't be any better than your Norwegian hit. <laughs> uh, no. Sorry, Lee. Short and sweet answer. <laughs> no, the ultimate song has uh, not been created by me. Not that it won't be created by me, but it hasn't yet been created by me. Sounds like something you could do, though. I, I feel like with everything else that's happened, I mean, for God's sake, Rolf made a Norwegian hit. Surely surely the Welsh <laughs> titles aren't, aren't ridiculously strong. Like, na- name one Welsh band. Gorky Zygotic Monkeys. Okay. Yep, fair enough. I, I I take it all back. I hope my answer for Lee's question didn't seem like a smokescreen. Uh, it's just that my agent said that if I were going on a podcast and I were releasing the song that is the ultimate song, it's Joe Rogan or nothing. So I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, no. Cannot argue with that even a little bit. I did see a question on there from someone called Rod or Todd. Oh, Roderick Matthews, yes. Sorry, I did miss that one. So the question was, uh, why aren't you playing fistball anymore and do you prefer crunchies or violet crumbles? One of the one of the world's great mysteries, I guess. Mm, Todd, thank you. Another great question. Uh, why do I not play anymore? It's interesting. It's very similar to a question I was asked when I was playing regularly in, in the das fist sense of the word. Um, people would ask the same question, though. It was, I think their pronunciation was why aren't you playing properly? Uh, I think properly must be a synonym for anymore, but uh, yeah, I'm used to being asked, you know, why are you not playing properly? As for part B, a question coming originally from the Northern Hemisphere, it'd have to be crunchy since uh, Violet Crumble is my porn name. (laughs) Fair enough. And uh, thank you to um, Todd Matthews for that uh, question. Thank you, Todd. Fist. Uh, so I guess that moves us on to the uh, the next part of the show, which is our Australian fistball update about uh, all the things that are going on in the fistball world at the moment. Um, got a few things happening. Firstly, as we uh, we've sent I sent a net recently up to uh, to Laurie Fistburn Young up in Cairns, who's our our boy up there in, in Cairns. He came. He was. He was. Oh, he's been part of the last two world championship campaigns he was our coach in in argentina and assistant coach there in in switzerland last year and he's he's teaching fistball to his i think a year seven or eight kids so what's that about 12 13 years old up there in Cairns. so and but he's i think yeah he said he's been fumbling around a bit with ropes and whatever else so we've um i found the most annoying old fistball net that we don't use very much anymore and sent that up to him so uh, rolf what were the origins of far q 
We we did have a uh, an organisation that the Fistball Association of Regional Queensland, which was better known as FARQ. Did, did Cairns ever get involved in that? Yeah, no, I don't think it ever got beyond the pun and the title. It was basically <laughs> a couple of mates of mine who are on the on the Sunshine Coast, which is the uh, the opposite end of the state. And uh, in European terms, it's like the difference between I don't know Turkey and London, uh, but um, the Sunshine Coast in Cairns. Yeah, but um, no, no, they uh, I think they never got beyond the idea, unfortunately. Oh, well, well, any kind of um, youth fistball we can get going at the moment, all jokes aside, like it's it's great that Laurie's um, taking that on with his school kids, and and hopefully we can we can see some something come out of that. And I mean, we did mention, I think I mentioned briefly, uh, some sad injury news from Western Australia, but uh, Benny Giles is our boy Benny. Shout out to Benny and Uncle Pete, who's done the done the ribs in. I see a big news here in Victoria is that we're back. We uh we had our yeah first first fist for for a few uh, for a few months and yeah Rolf you were sadly called away to work but yeah we had I think there was about five or six of us there and we we played a bit of two on two Kleinfelder Faust ball which quite uh, conveniently rolls into a little smooth segue into our international fistball news which is the announcement of the 2021 two on two fistball world championships. Yeah, very interesting. Like I said, this seems to be like a bit of an exhibition or perhaps a bit of a trial tournament tied into uh, a broader tournament, perhaps? Yeah, I think it it seems to be part of the German Gymnastics Festival, which is being held in Leipzig, Germany, which uh, is the middle of May next year, Wednesday the 12th to Sunday the 16th. But yeah, we have spoken previously about the sort of strange, tenuous connection between gymnastics and fistball that I've never really understood exactly but for whatever reason it's it is part of the tournament and but it seems like it's quite a big tournament it's four days from what I can see they've got like a it's like a proper world tour event fistball of sort of men's and women's fistball and then I think there's juniors right down to under 12s under 14s under 16s under 18s men's women's I think there's some mixed exhibition games or something kind of tournament yeah, yeah, masters as well, sort of. Yeah, yeah. masters up there, right up to sixty-five and over, or sixty and over, which is sort of our kind of bracket these days. Yeah, and then and then I guess there's the, the sort of two-on-two tournament. I guess being a world championship, I assume it's country versus country. So I don't know how you how the selection process works for countries that actually have more than you know a handful of people. For us, it'd be like, are there two people that want to go to Germany next year? <laughs> but it might be an, op- an opportunity to get something going. But I mean, for the big one for us is that you know we often struggle to get numbers for training and stuff like that. Is that it actually kind of gives you a, an alternative? It's like if you can get four or five people down for a little bit of training session to fistball, you can set up this. I think it's three meters wide and ten meters long, the whole net. So five meters each side and, and like a one point eight meter net. So it's we kind of use that as a bit of a training session anyway, but now you actually, you could use it, you know, oh, we're just warming up to, uh, technically we're training for our world championships, which is nice. Well, the Australian team selection is, it's a no-brainer. I mean, you pick the team that has been playing consistently as a two-person team since the inception of Australian fistball, both members of which uh, happen to find themselves on this podcast. So, Which is Das Fist. Uh, yeah, you just don't need to overthink it. Yeah, exactly right. The only the only two-person fistball team we've had basically since our inception. So, yeah. So um, And at the moment, uh, Australian citizens aren't allowed to leave uh, the country at the moment anyway, so you'd have to escape under a second passport. So that's uh, so there's dual qualifying requirements 
at the moment to uh, <laughs> to, yeah. to even to even attend the tournament. Yeah. And don't both of you fall under the realm of dual citizens that can leave the country anyway? So a couple of spare nationalities available. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's it. So basically, we've locked you two in as the Australian team for the World Fistball Championships in Leipzig, Germany, in May next year, which is exciting. I will talk to the FIFA travel desk and have my uh, Concorde flight booked hence forthwith. Well, the beauty of that is you can also, if we hit up, get one of our friends to hit us up, you can also play for the over-60s teams in one of the uh, the regular tournaments. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, my son. No, but, uh, sorry, I guess in all seriousness, like it, hopefully it might become a bit of a an ongoing thing, the 2x2 the two two tournament. We, it does open up a, a couple of doors, I suppose, for us or you know for other countries like this. Or a, the the option to pl- to a compete in a major fistball event with only say two or three people going over, where travel is such a big hurdle for us, it, it's a possibility. I know it may it may never it'll probably never reach the same heights as you know your main fistball world championships. But if you can wrangle together two or three people to go over and compete in a major event. It's a possibility, whereas for us, you know, especially like with our women's team at the moment, we've got a few, you know, pregnancies and whatever else. Like to wrangle five or six women together to go and play is very hard, but two or three is doable. I guess our next big thing that we're going to talk about, which is our game game review, which was the Austrian Fistball, Men's Fistball Championships from last weekend, which was actually happening last Sunday night as we were recording. We, we spoke briefly about the women's, but the men's tournament, um, due to COVID reasons, was held quite late in two different venues. The women's championships happened in Le Kirken and the men's championships happened in Volkerbrook, which yeah, I'm sure everyone's very well versed in their uh, Austrian town locations, but they're, I think they're only about half an hour apart. The whole streaming crew had to kind of go and film the women's championships and then pick up and move half an hour up the road to um, to Volkerbrook for the men's. If I could just uh, chip in and uh, correct your pronunciation there, Mr. Fister, I think you'll find it's uh, Volkerbrook. Uh, I apologise for my mispronunciation. I will I will endeavour to, to have better mispronunciation for the rest of the show. Anyway, so the... Um, I, I, I guess I thought going into the game it was probably going to be a fairly uh, straightforward victory for... Vocklerbrook, uh, they have the the number one Austrian attacker, uh, Karl Mulliner, and yeah, I sort of I sort of thought their semi final was going to be the big one once they once they kind of made it through to the final, and then yeah, they were playing a uh, Linz Ufa in the in the final. I sort of expected it to be a bit of a whitewash, but it actually ended up being a, a pretty entertaining game. Yeah, like it really was. Uh, I, I recognise some of the players. It's probably just a few observations about the game to start with. I uh, uh, love the um, the animations and uh, all the um, uh, at the beginning of the broadcast. There's some uh, really good work there. <laughs> It's a really fantastic work with the. It was very ESPN, wasn't it? it was, it's, it's, yeah. it's ninety seconds of like dun 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 dun, dun yeah, and these yeah. like flashing animations. You're like, this is gonna be yeah. an absolute high class. <laughs> like, this is gonna be the pinnacle of of sporting broadcast. A fistball broadcast, that's right. And then, <laughs> and then it kind of finishes, and there's a few seconds of kind of awkward silence, and then yeah, then it's basically a single camera. <laughs> and then and, yeah. yeah, and Martin Vice are gonna be like, oh oh yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that it was good. It was, it was very entertaining. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, was... yeah. I, I love the Mission Impossible soundtrack at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, it started really, uh, started really strong with the uh, with all the graphics. Yeah, I mean the only thing is it was very hard to read the players' names. They didn't have the player details. It's hard to find this stuff in Austria, and so even the player numbers were pretty hard to to ascertain. So I really just looked at the positions and who was playing well in what position. And yeah, that yeah. that was a big one. They kind of came out of their their big hyped up opening, and then it was sort of a very echoey court announcer and announcing the names of Austrian names that are hard enough to get when you like can hear them clearly let alone with an echo I actually was watch, listening to the replay or watching the replay I was like typing the names and numbers down on my computer as he was saying them and then like thought I'll just type down what I've got what I think he said and then I'll try and like Facebook stalk to find out what their actual names is and to say I got close would be a fair overstretch to some of them like guys were like yeah yeah I think I heard what he said there I'm pretty sure I've nailed that name and then you might have got two letters right in the surname but the Austrian surnames a lot of them just look like where someone's just accidentally lent on a keyboard and just a whole bunch of letters have popped up in no particular order and then it's like a game of countdown yeah can I buy a vowel please Andrew something else going on there but but anyway aside from pronunciation which will be which will be a a bit of a nightmare probably it was a pretty pretty good game How, how about you Rich what were your thoughts I uh, love the Mission Impossible soundtrack intro. Uh, the echo was sensational. I didn't think I would be able to cope with it, but thankfully it didn't last too long. A kazoo or a vuvuzela. I kind of like that on the build-up. There was uh, just a solitary person with a kazoo or a vuvuzela. <laughs> On the lineup of the players, uh, they must have some really strict anti-advertising rules because all of the players' beers were in sort of uh, disguised containers yeah. as they all stood for the name calling out. You couldn't tell what beer they were drinking. They had them in uh, like those water bottle things. So I thought <laughs> that was strange. Um, it was different for us. We're not yeah. used to that. Yeah, to players not drinking beers at the start <laughs> of the game. Well, well, I mean, they, it must be the anti-advertising. So I, I was disappointed I didn't know which beer each player was drinking, but that's just a small point yeah the Urfa team they were panning along the players it all looked pretty standard until they got to the two coaches and I think the assistant coach was someone who teleported in from Gold Coast <laughs> he really did not look like he should have yeah. been there there's a great use of the bucket hat he had the white glasses I, I thought you'd notice the bucket hat yeah. in the fistful version of where's Wally yeah I, I won that game straight away I spotted him I think it was, I think they're brothers actually or I don't know if they're brothers the same this Nikki and Marcus Feltz, I think, were the two brothers there. I don't know which one was wearing the bucket hat, but yeah, I, I did, I did make a quick note of that. Uh, both of them were, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, as another another observation was um the COVID safe principles with the uh, fist bumps between the opposing teams, and uh, just yet again showing that uh, Australian fistball have been the trailblazers, and we were we were COVID safe before it was cool. Yeah, we start we started that. We've been doing this for. From the beginning, yeah, yeah we started that stuff. So it's good to see that on the uh, on the international yeah. football arena as well. And once again, I think that's the feedback loop of the virus that is Australian football reinfecting the host with yeah. uh, the bucket hat and that's the fist right. bumps. Yeah, it was uh, good to see Rafa and uh, Martin Vice as well on the commentary team. And uh, yeah, that was nice. They did give a shout out and uh, acknowledge a shout out from those guys as well to the uh, the watchers down under. So. Good, nice to know they're thinking of us. They did give a, a shout out in, in English there. Probably, I think it was like probably like midway through the third set or something. Which it was nice watching on the replay. But of course, having watching that live, that would have been at about three fifty in the morning. I think if anyone was watching it live, so maybe a little bit late. But um, Rolf, you you speak some German, yeah? Do, can you sort of understand much of what's going on, or are you just? 
Because they did seem to kind of, I think, especially Raphael Dobler, I think, seems to float in, in and out of English a little bit throughout the games, but I don't know much of what's going on. Oh, I, don't, I don't know who has misled you into believing I'm capable of learning any language whatsoever, let alone English. So, <laughs> no, no, it's, it's basically completely unintelligible. But the other, other thing I think it's great to watch is um, when you listen to the commentary is you, you um, the words that they obviously don't have German words for. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, like you could go, yeah, schlafen, the schnickten, schlafen, eins, feins, did it. Ah, net touch! Yeah, I mean, I guess getting back to some sort of resemblance of an actual uh, game review, it probably was a, a bit of a surprising result, particularly early, in that I think uh, we spoke, uh, Mooney and myself spoke about this on the last show, that Volkerbrook with uh, Karl Mulliner, who is you know, Austria's number one attacker in the national team, were probably expected to pretty comfortably win this game, and yet... The first two sets, Lynn's really come out on top, and um, and said particularly in in the first set, it was the the Lynn's attacker Patrick Pierman who just dominated, and he was amazingly good. The ponytail I mean, guy, he was excellent. Yeah, yeah, and I was kind of, to be honest, uh, yes, yeah, so not not being exactly a, a massive scholar of Austrian football, I was kind of watching these two sets, thinking like, who the hell is this guy, and why have I not heard of him? in Austrian football before. Like, he, he's so good at this point, and he doesn't look, like, super young or anything. Like, surely he's been playing before. And so, yeah, again, a bit of sort of face Facebook stalking. Apparently, I think he's, a, he's actually a Brazilian guy. Yeah, I'm not sure how he's ended up in Austria, but I think he played for Brazil back at the um, 2011 World Champs, and then he's, he's ended up over there. But um, Yeah, notice the, uh, good, there's the Battle of the Jump. Was that the number 11? Yeah, number 11. Yeah. He's, he's really damn good. Yeah, yeah. That was the Battle of the uh, Jump Serves as well. Both have had a very similar uh, Mulner and, uh, and Pierman. Both have the, the jump serve with the two feet landing behind the line. It's an interesting style. Yeah, you don't see a lot of the running jump serve anymore. Like, no. watching, going back, watching a lot of the sort of early 2000s games now, especially those Swiss-Brazilian uh, games where you've got Martin Weiss and that, there's a, there's a lot of that running jump serve. But I guess they're smaller guys, whereas nowadays where you've got guys like Patrick Thomas and uh, Cyril Schreiber and that, they're kind of bigger guys. They tend to be a bit more ser- stand and deliver, just stand there and yeah. and smack it. But these guys, yeah, they, they're definitely big on that, that running jump serve. Yes, yeah, I, I sort of found that that first set. Carl Carl Mulliner really seemed out of sort. He had quite a few misses, like faults and serves sort of didn't seem out. So I just sort of thought this game was going to be a bit of a whitewash and he just seemed all at sea in that first set. And the Linz team, they had, uh, yeah, Pierman was over, but they had, um, uh, who's the, is it Lawrence, Lawrence, Lawrence Maringa, Stefan Wolfart and, uh, yeah, Bella Geschwantner. I think it's Geschwantner. I don't know. There's Geschwank, yeah. But yeah, they, they, were, they were really fantastic. And I, I guess that's probably the thing is that their defense is, is pretty much a lot of the national team defense. It's maybe their offense that isn't recognized so much. With that defense playing well, and Patrick Pierman was... He was just on song in those first couple of sets. And Carl Mulliner was, was a bit wayward, was missing a few, whatever, and was... at yeah, it really looked like there was an upset on the cards. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And he's uh, that Pierman as well. He had a real good sort of bag of tricks, some great drop shots, uh, some good drop attacking shots as well as drop serves mm. that he that he pulled off um, and great attacking defense as well so they, they targeted him a bit and he was he was pretty solid in defense 
So yeah, had a yeah, he was it was great to watch actually. Yeah, it's good to see. Uh, there's a, not many man buns in fistball either, so it's good to see. Yeah, yeah. So so through two sets, so Lins won the first set eleven nine, and they won the second set. 11-6 and they were they were really quite dominant yeah so Pierman was just was just killing it and, uh, Stefan Wolfhard Lawrence Maringo was was great a couple of the the Volkerbrook guys were good Max Maximilian Humer I think was good and and Carl Mullen a sort of I think probably halfway through the second set he seemed to start just switched on yeah working his way into the game like he was making a lot of errors then he just started getting going they were already a long way down and then I guess yeah for me the the biggest thing of the whole game was probably was I think it was early in the sec in the third set I think it was about one all where um Patrick Pierman sort of hit a shot and it came down and all of a sudden you could see him he was like looking towards the sort of sidelines and stretching his groin and he just it looked like he'd done something here he wasn't looking comfortable he was kind of trying to stretch something out and you thought oh hang on a minute he looks like there's something's not quite right and yeah, from there he he never caught. Uh, for me, I, I don't know what the injury was. He, he he played the rest of the match out, but he never looked the same as he did in those first two sets. And he kind of looked like he lost a bit. And Carl Mulliner kind of found his groove. Yeah, he raised. Mulliner had a couple of great shots in that third set, and he just lifted up. I think lifted the whole team after that. Yeah. It looked like it was being played in Volkenbrook as well. So I think the crowd were behind him as well. You could mm. hear with the. Uh, with the with the cheers, but so they got they got behind him as well, and yeah, really just swung after that third set. Absolutely, the home advantage, obviously, as we all know from school, that uh, Vokler Brooks sits at 433 meters versus uh, Urfa's 266 meters, so they they had the home altitude advantage. Yeah, obviously, yeah, and and a much and a much lower population density of only 790 per square kilometer. So there's there's more room for them to spread out. And they're used to that altitude. Thank you, Wikipedia. It's a game of two halves and. Yeah, my scoring's the same. So when I sort of started putting the ticks against the numbers and the players, like they definitely swung to Volkerbrook on the, you know, in the in the in this last three sets. Player ratings, Jordan. Yeah, well, um, we'll go through. I guess I'll go with my, my number one. I always seem to wind up with attackers being my my top dogs, just because I guess they win the points. I did find it was a it was a bit of an even keel, probably for for the the lower ranks. There was a lot of guys that popped up, but the one that I thought sort of defender setter that just seemed to pop up right the way through was Elias Walshoffer or something like that from, from Volkerbrook who, um, yeah, he, uh, he was number, number six. He was sort of the setter, I guess, for, for Volkerbrook for most of the game who just seemed to be good all the way through the game. He had some great defensive shots and did some good setting and he was just, yeah, I don't, I don't think he went off for the whole game that I can recall. He seemed to, um, to be there or thereabouts most of the time and yeah it's like anything i guess if you got a guy like carl Mulliner who's a great attacker he can't be a great attacker if he doesn't have a guy giving him really good sets so elias wolf Schaffer for me was was one vote yeah i think we're watching the same game obviously because i had uh, exactly the same guy as my uh, one vote yeah just based on the yeah, mainly, and it was after the third set where he was doing some excellent direct sets right on the net, and just setting, the Carl Mullen was doing some amazing, a lot of cross net shots as well, just unplayable straight into the ground and out of the stadium. And um, but again, it was all on those those excellent direct sets right on the net. So yeah, so he was my my one vote as well. I didn't have his name. I just got the number six for for, for Volkenbrook. Yeah, yeah. yeah so how about you, Rich? 
Like you, I was determined coming into this not to give any points to any attackers. I wanted to show some love for the back end, for the defenders, and uh, I couldn't do it. So my single point goes to uh, Ufa's number 11, Patrick Pierman. And as you say, game of two halves started very strong, a lot of silky moves, a lot of... Uh, a lot of interesting shots, but uh, he's he's in my third place overall for the match. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, so he, he was unbelievable early. Obviously, when uh, Linz, yeah, especially won those first two sets, but then I guess yeah, the game sort of swung. Okay, if you want to keep rolling, uh, Rich, who was your number two vote? This might be controversial. Uh, my number two was uh, Volker Brooks, number nine, Carl Mulliner. Just outstanding. He just kept going and going. There was. I think I wrote it down from 40 minutes, 52 seconds. He just started coming alive uh, with some unplayable shots. There was a defense he did where he appeared to out of nowhere. It's almost like he appeared out of the crowd and he had so much airtime. It seemed like he was horizontal, a physically preposterous amount of time just floating there, managing to get a fist onto that ball uh, and just to save that point. And later on, there was a smash coming at him, I think, from maybe Pierman, and he was just at the net, and he had an arm out, and the ball would have travelled maybe a couple of centimetres. It just ricocheted from the strike off his hand and back in again, and it was, yeah, that was a sensational. So, unbelievably, yes, he's my number two choice. Yeah, I'll follow a Sorry, I didn't have him as my number two, but yeah, he, he did some fantastic things, and a couple of those points that you talked about, I definitely remember, particularly that, that block he did at the net, which it's something that you don't see a lot of in, I guess, full field fistball, like you seem to see. It's, a, it's an indoor, it's an indoor thing, yeah. Yeah, they don't seem to block a lot in outdoor fistball. Every time you see someone go up for a block, you think, what are you doing? Like, you've left such a massive gap. Yeah, yeah. And then he pulls off a, a, a block like that and wins a point. You go, oh, okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I think he just kind of ended up near the net, and then when uh, and then he's just run with it. I think it wasn't. <laughs> it was a... Yeah, maybe maybe it's because he's like, I'm terribly out of position, yeah. so I'll just go for I'll this. I'll just block. go with this. Yeah, and pulls it off, and it's yeah, mm. amazing. How about you, um, Rolf? Who was your number two? Number two, uh, Pierman, number 11 and uh, from Linz, yeah. Uh, for all those things we've already discussed, it was really, it was amazing early on. Really good variety, but just, yeah, just, just sort of petered out. A lot of long shots. As good as he was, he also probably gave away a lot of points as well. That's the curse of attackers. They win the points, but they lose the points. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm the same. I, I had um, Patrick Pierman for my number two in that. Yes, I, I don't know if it was what kind of injury he had or whatever, but through two sets, he was head and shoulders the best player on the field, and it wasn't even close. Like, he was just... Yep. It was so good, and you thought, there's no way that if he keeps playing like he is playing, that Linz doesn't win this game. He was amazing the first two sets, and then he sort of came down to being just pretty good. And Yeah, but he started making a few mistakes, and Carl Mulliner went from being pretty average, missing a few of the first two sets, to being pretty awesome after that. So um, Patrick Pierman was my number two. I guess that's you, Rich. Did we get your number two? Yeah. Uh, yes, mine was uh, controversial, perhaps, in it being Carl Mulliner. Oh, yes. That's right. Sorry. So well, how about you go, you go to your number three? Uh, so... It's hard to top Carl Mulliner, but I was looking for that unique selling point. And for me, uh, I think I'm pronouncing this correctly, it's Seine Lange Weiser Linkersock, which is, uh, as you all know, it's the German for uh, his long white left sock. <laughs> um, I thought that that was his, 
I thought that was the unique selling point for the game. It was uh, <laughs> the guy with one sock. It was yeah. something that was energizing him. So he had the long white sock, and I was thinking, is it some sort of orthopedic thing? And it didn't appear to be. Uh, as a spectator watching in low resolution, I very much appreciated that I could see who it was. Uh, but that had to be in a Michael Jackson style. Uh, that had to be his unique selling point. So for me, the uh, Sina Langer Weiser Linker sock is uh, is my number one choice. That's, that's my three pointer. It's psychological warfare. Yeah, I think it's like a, you know, like the Germans are renowned for being very ordered and very structured. Just some guy having an asymmetric sock configuration would be enough to completely make the other team unravel. <laughs> the sight of that, like. Yeah. I mean, not to suggest that the opposing team have OCD or have an OCD gene that could be triggered by such uh, chaos, but um, <laughs> I, I, I'm really scoring that sock highly. <laughs> I'm, t- <laughs> I'm guessing you're referring to number one for Vocalberg, which is Mikkel Fichtenschlager, Fichtenschlager, which is actually, I think, ironically, slightly shorter than your tr- translation for the long white sock. <laughs> He was, re- yeah. He, he, I think he was very good. Probably from yeah that third, fourth, fifth set onwards, he really um, came into the game. Yeah, in uh, tactical warfare terms, you know, it is standard to have a decoy long left white sock. Uh, but the true exponent of the long left white sock was uh, was your man Herr Muliner. Who's your number one? Uh, my number one was uh, yeah, I'd Carmelder. Yeah, for all those things, the uh, the blocks, the. Uh, Cross net shots as well were amazing. Um, yeah, like his jump serve and uh, yeah. So he he and the set are really uh, really won it for Volkerbrook. So my number one. Yeah, it's, yeah, same thing here, Carl. Carl. Um, yes, and he was without being disparaging to a bloke whose first set was better than I'll ever produce in my life. He was actually, I thought, pretty ordinary early on in the game. He missed a lot and was pretty wayward. But yeah, probably from I think. Midway through the second set, he sort of started to come good. And then, yeah, he was pretty dominant there. He did have a couple of wayward moments. Like, I think there was one point, I might have been in the third or fourth set, where they were sort of, looked like they were coasting. They were maybe up like 9-6, and then he hit two or three bad serves in a row and sort of let him back in. But at the end of the day, yeah, they never really got challenged again from there. And, yeah, Carl was, yeah, he was, he was pretty impressive, so... He was the uh, the sharps glass for me. It almost seemed to me like he was coasting. He was calibrating. He had the power there. He was just dialing it in, finding his limits, and then yeah, decimation. Yeah, I'm not again. Uh, Melanie talked about this a bit. I haven't followed super closely how their seasons have gone, but I know obviously with disrupted um, lead-ins and and whatnot through COVID, I'm not sure what kind of preparation all the different clubs have had. So it's, you know, it's possible that, you know, missing games here and there or only playing every other weekend or whatever, they maybe didn't have the the lead up that possibly they would be expecting to, to normally. And yeah, maybe because of that, some guys were possibly, yeah, a little bit scratchy or whatever, but yeah, he certainly seemed a bit rusty early and you sort of thought, oh, look, there might be, and yeah, because Patrick Pym was just so good. And then, yeah, it just seemed he, he had that, so, all right, whatever it was, a bit of an injury where he just sort of seemed to, to drop 10 or 15% and Carl Mulliner seemed to, to come up 10 or 15% and that was where the, the game really swung. I'd be interested to know how old Mulliner is because, uh, as we all know, 
uh, Vokalbrook was chosen as the uh, European meeting of marksmen in 2003. <laughs> I wonder if there's some sort of uh, highly accurate DNA that sort of uh, worked its way into the uh, the Vokalbrook team there because his uh, accuracy was was just top notch. I think he's I think he's about 23 or 24. Just to uh, I don't oh, know if that if that helps or hinders your theory there. I think he was 22. I think he was 22 last year this time at the World Champ. So I think he's maybe 23 now. I don't know. I don't know if that confirms <laughs> or denies your marksman theory. No, no, it, uh, it shoots it out the water. Unfortunately, <laughs> across the board. Then I think well, Carl Molina was probably a, a fairly consistent sort of probably number one Patrick Pierman I think was probably number two and uh Elias Walshoffer I think was probably our number number three so they get the uh the can of coke the pie and the Mars bar between them they can they can split that up how they would like I guess between the three of them um it it would be ironic if the first place prize was a long bright sock (laughs) <laughs> just one does anyone yeah just 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 one lost long white sock i don't know if anyone if either of us had any i i often just jot down a few other random notes throughout the game um and there was one other thing that that i did jot down that i just it stuck out to me so much throughout the game especially once it turned against Lynn's sort of in that third set that i couldn't really figure out why they didn't to try it or didn't go to it at all but through the entire match there was not a single underarm serve in the entire match that i just found <laughs> baffling i've got to agree that the two standouts for me with vocalbrook were one as you say the uh, lack of underarm serving and i've already written a letter so uh I'm expecting feedback on that. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, and the, <laughs> as you, as you and would. not that I've been on Wikipedia, but you've got to check out the Vokalbrook coat of arms. It is a flag, and within the flag, there are 10 other versions of the Austrian flag. Not that there is a word, but if there were a word flagtastic, uh, it would be coined <laughs> for the Vokalbrook coat of arms. It's uh, I'm thinking Das Fist logo part two. Yeah, trying trying very hard to be dust fist and failing miserably is what I think you're you're getting at there. It's it's absolutely symptomatic of design by committee where they've gone round. There's ten people. You got any ideas? Oh, how about an Australian Austrian flag? And you? Oh, also an Austrian flag. And each person has chipped in with an Austrian flag. And here you've got the. Uh... Uh, yeah, I'm looking at the Vokalbrook flag now. It basically, if I could describe it, it's like two Lego men riding a horse. Um, each. <laughs> <laughs> into a castle also made of lego it is uh it did it did appear to me if there's a backstory to it it does seem like a, a european version of the uh of the siege of troy instead of it being a trojan horse it's it's a couple of dudes <laughs> on a lego horse really going overboard trying to convince the castle they're trying to impregnate that oh yes we are austrian <laughs> Because they've gone overboard with the uh, Austrian camouflage. So, uh, yeah, honorary mention for the Vokalbrook coat of arms. It's a bit like the uh, it's a bit like the British the British crown having a unicorn and a lion on it. You know, it doesn't really make any sense either. <laughs> Fist. Boy. Uh, do we have any other any other random shout outs? For the game or for the for the podcast? Um, individual shout-outs for people? Or... Uh, I'll shout-out to Fistball itself. It's been good to all of us. It's taken us on quite a journey. And it does stagger me that a sport that is so 
easy to learn and so fun to play is unknown. It is, uh, as Fistel showed us, you could play it one-on-one over two inclined bicycles. It's, it's the sport for the 21st century. And my second shout out is to uh, Vokler Brooks postcode. For some reason, 4840, <laughs> I find really pleasing from a mathematical point of view. I was hoping it was going to be a prime number, but uh, not so much. Yeah, you're right, though. It, it, it's, I think it is one of the, one of the, the most baffling things that we've, the head scratches we've had since we started this whole fistball journey. How this game is basically unknown worldwide, aside from this weird little global fistball family and it just it doesn't make any sense it's 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 fantastic it's such an amazing game and it's an amazing sport and the family that plays it's great but how we are where we are is baffling i defy any sport to prove itself more accepting more accessible than fistball it doesn't come with centuries of baggage and arcane rule books it's it's quick it's instant it's immediate so it is the mystery of the days. Yeah, definitely, hundred percent agreed. How about you, uh, Rolf? You got any uh, any other random shout outs you wanna you wanna throw out there? Oh, how's your shout out to uh, an old football friend from Germany, uh, Lucas Klinger? Yes, who's recently uh, graduated with a degree in uh, biomedical engineering from uh, Mannheim University. So. Shout out to Lucas. He'll be forever member. Like for... that's ever going to be useful. <laughs> that's right, yes. But, uh, yes, I still remember the day you nearly killed Luke, uh, uh, Paul Trask. <laughs> yeah, that tracer bullet. <laughs> tracer bullet. And, uh, that was the day I realised that how actually fast a fistball and how hard a fistball can actually be hit by someone that knows how to do it. Yeah. Uh... And and from, a, and from a guy who wasn't even, like, at, like, elite level, like... He... He's pretty good. I know he's played at a pretty second, high level. Second division, ball, still but yeah, like, uh, Mannheim, yeah, yeah, second so. division, yeah. But like, yep. but just yeah, it was all. We're all just. I think we're all just sort of a bit blissfully unaware of what was about to happen, and he just absolutely smashed a ball at someone who wasn't really ready for it, and yeah, nearly knocked his head off. That was pretty impressive. I remember yep. that. So shout out to Lucas. I'm going to give my random shout out to. Um, Given we've had a bit of an Austrian theme tonight to um, Patrick Schartmuller and uh, his his partner Lisa, who uh, were from Austria, who, they came out to Australia well, probably two years ago now. Just one of those bit of random ones. I think they were sort of travelling around. I met up with them in Melbourne and spent spent a day travelling with them, and so uh, they were really great. But then they, they came and watched all of our games at the World Championships last year, and... They were really su- supporting us, which was awesome. And then I actually ended up sort of, I was sitting with them in the crowd during that um, Austria-Brazil semi-final when Austria won and oh, some vague memories of partying with them to, to Mama Louder and a few other Austrian classics. Helicopter, Eins, Eins, Seven, whatever those other awesome songs were that we were getting <laughs> around to. But um, yeah, they, they, yeah, they really made uh, made part of my world champs last, last year. So yeah. Um, so shout out to those guys, but uh, yeah, other than that, I think we've uh, I think we've waffled on for a, for a pretty reasonable amount of time, somewhere in the uh, hour and fifty minute bracket, which will do Milne's head in when he tries to bring it back to an hour. He's only got to go, cut out half of our nonsense, so that'll be good. More importantly, uh, Richard's uh, well and truly beyond the curfew now. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> the uh, the the penultimate curfew night in Melbourne, and uh, he's got to run the gauntlet back home now, which is uh, which is pleasing. <laughs> yes, I'm uh, subdued yet 
caffeinated. It's going to be quite the uh, quite the cocktail for the police to deal with. I'm sure. Surely the uh, the number one fistball podcast in the Southern Hemisphere counts as a as a uh, perfectly good excuse to to break curfew. No. Oh, absolutely. I will be uh, trotting out. Do you know who I am? As soon as I wind the window down. And we did get a, a promise of a, of a uh, live on air tasting of the Buckfast uh, barbecue sauce range. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, I get a, uh, if I could get a um, a live to air review, as he runs away from the as he runs away from the, from the camera that isn't there watching, so it, it really is quite good. So it's uh, where's the camera? Yeah, it's a podcast. There is no camera, Rich. So just drink it and tell us what it tastes like. Mm. So I'm getting uh, floral notes. Uh, it's actually really good. Yeah, I think we should do uh, shots of this at the next game. Yeah, I think definitely. What well, we we need to fill us in on on who your uh, who your your connection is for Buckfast because it's notoriously hard to find, which is it's just a tragedy in itself because it's it's such a good drink. It is, it is. It's the only regular supplier in the whole country that I've managed to lock onto has been Chapel Street Cellars in uh, Fair Old Chapel Street. Uh, yeah, they do the full range, and if you uh, Spend a mere eighty-five dollars on some barbecue sauce and uh, a couple of tinnies. You do get a free five-cent bracelet <laughs> in the style of "What would Jesus do?" Uh, I see. This one is "What would Jesus do on Buckfast," which is a, a whole other podcast. All right, guys, thank you very much. I think we should probably wind it up there. We've rambled on for the best part of two hours, which has uh, been a, been a, a joy. I think it's been a really good dress <laughs> rehearsal. So when when do we do the real thing? I'm, I'm I'm ready for the real thing there. <laughs> no, but it has been fun. I, I doubt Melanie will ever let the three of us get back together again by ourselves on a podcast that he has to edit. So I'll uh, I'll take this opportunity to, to say thank you. It has been a, a pleasure to have you both on here. And, well, um, thank you. I mean, Rolf does have another three horses' hooves. So, he's uh, hobbling around our back still. I mean, that's, that's another three podcasts right horses, now. Horses' fists. Horses' fists, I'm sorry. Ah, uh, good old Stumpy. Was he amputated in vain? We will see. All right. Uh, Excellent. All right, guys. Uh, Thanks. We'll sign off with, uh, with a little uh, fist on and hooroo. Right. Fist on. Fist on and... Uh, a fist adorn, kafan am dinond adorn. Beautifully done, Rich. Love your work. Thank you. Hooray. Hooray. Fist! fist.